Well, good morning and a big howdy do. How is everyone this morning? Man, glad to hear it. I'm Josh, one of the ministers. If you are new here, welcome. We love you. Glad you're part of our gathering time today. And we hope that we're able to serve you and bless you while you're here. We're going to jump into the seventh and final part of our series, The Seven Signs of Jesus, this morning. If you have your Bible, grab them and go with me to John chapter 11. I think I said Luke earlier today, so it's John chapter 11. Anyone else think we need to go to God's Word now? Let's do it, shall we? I want to do it a little bit different here, though, because something occurred to me this, this week in preparation for this text. Uh, any of you, just show of hands, any of you uh, sports fans? Let me see some sports fans. Oh, fantastic. You'll appreciate this. Um, it happens this time of year especially, it seems. Uh, in college sports, there will be this moment, won't there? Where the teams are neck and neck, but one is up, maybe only by one point, And the other team knows with a few seconds on the clock, they've got to get the ball across half court. And if they can make one more basket, then they win. Then they go on and they do. They get down the court and they're about to put the shot in and buzzer goes off. Time is up. They just ran out of time. It's not even that they lost the game, it's just they ran out of time. Isn't it true that there are moments where we feel like time has just ran out? And so what they'll do is they then pan across the bench with all the players and you see some with their faces in their hands, slumped shoulders, and they can't believe the game is over. We tried so hard. It's not that we really lost, it's just time ran out. And I was thinking about those images that we see with all the players who are depressed and discouraged because time has run out. What an apropos picture for so many moments in our lives, isn't it? Have you ever been in a moment where you just feel like time has run out? And then the better question is, what do you do? What do we do when time runs out? You think about the old man who looks over his life with regret and remorse, and he sees these places where if he had just made different decisions here or there, if he'd been more courageous at this point in his life, he'd have a different story to tell, but time is up. Or what about the marriage where the husband and wife began with so many promises to one another and had such great promise about their marriage, but because of missed opportunities, now they find themselves saying, we feel like time is up. It's just run out on us. Or what about the student who is hoping to go to a particular college but doesn't get accepted and they think, ah, if I'd only worked harder in school now, I'd be at a different point, but time's run out. If you've ever felt like time has run out at a point in your life, I want to share with you this morning from God's word some good news because this is exactly the sentiment of two sisters, Martha and Mary. Time's run out. And I want to show you the response of Jesus Christ when time has run out and you feel like the buzzer has gone off in life because he says there is a possibility that it's not over yet. These are the words of Jesus from John chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 17 in the middle of the story. If you will, let's stand together in honor of God's word as we read it today. Beginning in verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days, church? How many days, church? Important detail. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come 
to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. (laughs) But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, do you, church family, believe this? Let's pray together. So many of us find ourselves at the moment where we feel like there is no more time. Oh, yes, there's hope for the future, but we think there's no hope for today. I thank you that you come to us in this text to show us that with Jesus there is time even now. So come to us, Lord, and show us. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right. I know some of you completions, some of you who are looking at this, you're doing digs. We're at the very last story in the series, the seven signs, the seven miracles of John. And you didn't even give us the best part. You didn't even show us the miracle. Come on, Josh, this is the moment that we've all been waiting for. Lazarus coming back from the grave. We've gone through all the different signs. By the way, the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, call them miracles. But John calls them signs. The word there, Simeon, it is because the miracles are not the point. Rather, like a sign, they point to the point of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And you don't even get us to the point where Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. As many preachers have noted before, the reason Jesus calls Lazarus by name is because if he had simply said, come out, well, everyone would have come out and that would have been a real mess for everyone there. Well, there's Bob, there's Sally. Oh my goodness, we thought he was gone and hoped he'd stay gone. But he says, Lazarus, come out. And you didn't even get us to that point. You just dropped us in the middle of the mess. But isn't that how most of life really works? You find yourself in the middle of the mess. You don't know how you got there. You don't know how you'll get out of it. In fact, if you knew when the beginning of the story was happening, you'd have made different choices, course corrected, so that now you would not be where you are. And isn't it true we don't often live in the miracle moments? They come, but they don't come every day. So isn't it true that for most of us, we find ourselves in verses 17 to 28, Why? What has happened? So what do you do in a moment like that? Well, you go to Jesus. Now, Jesus has been ministering. He's been teaching. And word now comes to Jesus, your friend is sick. And everyone thought Jesus would drop what he's doing, go and take care of this friend, the one he loves. But Jesus doesn't do it. In fact, a lot of folk almost sense that Jesus is delaying on purpose. Like he's waiting to go on purpose. And no one can understand it. Jesus, don't you understand? Time is short. It's almost out of time. Lazarus is sick. Jesus, um, he's not getting better. He's not going to make it. You got to come now. Time is almost out. And then finally, we learn Lazarus is dead. Time is out. Jesus didn't come right away. He didn't even come within the hour. 
He didn't even come within a few, a few hours. It says that he waited two more days. And by the time Jesus rolls into town, John wants us to know that things are utterly hopeless. Time has run out. You say, how do we know that it is hopeless and time has completely run out? Well, do you notice that little detail John gave us? Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Now, there was a peculiar belief among the Jews of the day that the body, when it died, the soul would like hover around the body for another, oh, three days. Sort of like Casper the ghost. Anyone get that reference? Okay, so thank you. I get an adult saying, yes, fantastic. And the thought was, if God was to bring the body back to life, if something was going to happen, it would have to happen within those 72 hours. After those 72 hours, there is no hope. Time is up. When does Jesus show up, church? After four days. Because he does not want anyone there to think that this is a fluke or maybe Lazarus was just taking a long nap. This is proof that God is up to something. So he comes. Now he doesn't get there when they want. So when he is on his way, Mary and Martha hear that Jesus is on his way. And Martha's ready to give Jesus a piece of her mind. She goes to Jesus. She doesn't wait for him. Now this isn't the first time that Martha has told Jesus what she thinks, is it? You remember the other time that she tells Jesus, Jesus, tell my good for nothing, lazy sister. That's not in the text, but we understand that's what she's saying. My lazy sister, Mary, get up and help me with the dishes. So Martha comes to Jesus again, and she wants to give Jesus a piece of her mind. She's mad. Now, I know the text doesn't use that word, but the context there is clear. Something is just stirring her up. She's a ball of emotions, isn't she? And I would be, wouldn't you? A mix of anger confusion, maybe a sense of betrayal. Like Jesus, he's your best friend. We're your friends. What, what happened? Didn't you get the message? You've dropped things for people before and you've gone to them. Why not? Don't you love Lazarus? Or really, I thought you loved me. Isn't that the question? I thought you loved us. In fact, that's the question that comes to mind when Jesus doesn't do what we expect Jesus to do. We want to know, do you love me? It's a question of love because although we would never use this phrase, we often have this unspoken agreement with God, don't we? It's the agreement that if I follow you, you'll never let me down. If I give you my life, you'll give me what I want. And then when God does not do that, isn't it true? That's when we begin to question if God exists, if God is real, and if he's real, is he love? Do you love me? By the way, don't you suspect that Martha is a bit Southern? She's the kind of person who I imagine can tell you what she really thinks. I mean, she's learned the art of twisting the knife, but then at the very end, she'll smile at you and say those magic words, bless your hearts. That's what I get from this text. But Jesus doesn't give her an answer to the question, do you love me, does he? Oh no, Jesus will answer that question on Good Friday when he takes the sin of the world and my sin and your sin and he says, I love you this much, I will die for you and I will give you my life. He will answer the question with his words and his life. But in this moment, he doesn't give her an answer. Instead, he asks her a question. And it's a theological question. That's even the worst thing. You're sitting in grief and now someone wants to get theological on you. 
But Jesus never asks a question to harm. He asks questions to bring healing. And so he asks her the most important question, do you believe? Do you believe what? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life, Martha? And now Martha gets a little little feisty. (sighs) Yes, I believe that in the end, God will send you back. You will heal us. You will raise us from the dead. All that is broken in the world will be made new. Yes, I believe my brother will be raised at the last day in the future. Isn't it true that when we talk about what God can do, we always talk about it in the future tense. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't wait till heaven. Can't wait till he comes back. But we often reserve God's work for the future. We don't expect God's work in the moment in resurrection power today. But Jesus did not ask her, do you believe for the future? He asks her, do you right now? Do you believe this? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life today? Do you believe this? Now, here's the problem. And I need you to wake up if you fall asleep, okay? This word belief in the South is completely messed up. If you, like me, grew up in the South, you've heard this word your whole life. Even if you didn't go to church, you heard other folk talk about belief or believing, or this is how we know something to be true. And the problem is we kind of confuse the word believe with words like wish and hope. So we talk about, well, I, I'm going to get this job. I believe it. Now, you don't know if you're going to get the job. What are you really saying? I hope I get this job. Or what about this, fellas? I believe she's going to go out with me. How many of us know that ain't belief because she said no? Or is that just, okay, that's, maybe that's just me. We often confuse belief with saying, I hope, I wish, I want, I think, and that is not belief. Understand that the word belief means to sell out, means to put the full weight, put this up. It means to sell out, to put the full weight of your life onto something. We've often talked about this. I've used this before. It's like the chair. I believe this chair exists, but I don't believe it deep in my core until I'm willing to put the full weight of my life on it and see if it'll support me. Whoop, almost did. <laughs> Do you believe Not just the future. Do you believe right now in the resurrection and the life? If you do. So now, now, here's the thing that often happens. We think that it is a thought, and so we don't really operate out of belief. But belief, my friends, is not a thought or a feeling. Belief is a decision. Because I know That God holds the future that Jesus securely holds every promise he's ever made. It is assured. I now operate today. I decide to behave. I decide to think. I decide to act in a way that lines up with what I say I believe. I am going to live, hear me now, in the future tense promises. And I will live them in today's miserable moments. It will inform what I do. It will inform what I think. And so Jesus asks this question, do you believe? In fact, Jesus asks this question a lot, doesn't he? You remember the story of the father who had the son who was sick, sick, sick? Jesus, along with three of his best buddies, Peter, James, and John, they go up onto a mountain to be away to pray. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. Great moment. While they're away, this man comes to the other apostles with his sick son. And he says, can you heal them? And they can't. In fact, they, they get so frustrated. There's this tension going on that by the time Jesus and his three followers come down the mountain to the place, a fight's about to break out. 
So Jesus comes to this man, they have a conversation, and the man says, I believe. And there's this moment where Jesus almost just like pauses and just stares at him until the man will come clean and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus, it's been so hard. Come on, you know what this is like, don't you? I believe Jesus, but all the doctors, they've not been able to fix what's wrong. Jesus, I believe, but the medicine, it just doesn't work. We've tried the therapies, Jesus. It's not fixing anything. I want to believe, but this world has squeezed belief out of me. I believe, but I just don't know if I believe as much I need to believe. But please don't let my lack of belief keep you from fixing my boy. Anyone else here in a moment where you just say, God, I struggle to believe, but I need you to be here. In the lack of where I'm able to pull it up myself, I need you here. I think God responds to that gut level honesty, don't you? When we don't play games with God, when we pretend everything's okay, when it's not. In fact, that's why this summer, we're going to take the summer and we're going to just go through the different Psalms. There's 150 of them to choose from. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach 150 sermons. But we're going to look at that because David, the author of so many of those Psalms, has this way of articulating with his mouth what we feel in our hearts, doesn't he? And he gives us permission to say the things that are on our hearts from our mouths. See, a lot of us have this belief that we can't speak honesty to God, even though we're feeling those things. Friends, God already knows our heart. Let our mouths mirror our heart. See, some of us honestly will go to God in prayer and we'll bow our head at night and we'll say, Dear God, thank you for the blessing of today. I had a flat tire to work. My boss yelled at me when I got there. My computer blew up middle of the day. Traffic was terrible. By the time I got home, it was raining, so I couldn't even throw a ball with my kid. And God looks at us, Jesus sees us, and he's like, are we talking about the same day here? Thank you for the blessings, and here's reality. I think God honors and God wants to hear gut-level honesty from his kids. How many of us want our kids to tell us the truth? And so he says to him, do you believe? I do, but I'm not sure I believe. And so he is asking this question all the time. Jesus doesn't ask Martha, do you believe that Jesus or that Lazarus will be raised? But do you believe it right now? See, it's one thing to say yes one day. But see, here's the thing. Whether Lazarus is raised at the end of time or in two hours, it doesn't matter. In this moment, Lazarus is not there. He's dead And even though we know the story, she doesn't. And Jesus comes to you and comes to me in the moments where things are the hardest. And he says, do you believe right now, friend? Not just in the future. Do you believe in resurrection power right now? Did you know there's actually a debate going on among the theoretical physicists in our world? Some of you are going, I didn't even know we had theoretical physicists. What are they? Basically, they study a variety of things. And one of those things is this this idea of what is time? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is time itself? You know, like, is, is time a thing? Is time simply an experience? Is time this idea? What is time? And so there's this debate about what time is and the nature of time. And, and there's a group of theoretical physicists who, who will tell you that they believe that time is not, well, how do we experience time? It's linear. One step. One step, one step. I experience this moment, then this moment, then this moment. And I can't go back to that moment, can I? Now, how many of us, by the way, if we're honest, would like to go back to other moments in our lives? Oh, man. Also, just a show of hands, how many of us wish we 
could avoid certain moments of our lives as well. Anyone? Man, middle school acne was horrible, right? You're just discovering deodorant, but you're not sure if you found it first or if your friends found out you needed it first. I mean, it's just this whole weird period of life. So there are moments that you don't want to go back to, and then there are others that you do, but you can't. So you experience the time one step, one moment at a time. It's linear, but there are some theoretical physicists who say time is not linear, but rather, get this, it blows your mind, blew my mind. Did you know some of them say that time, all of it, from the beginning all the way to the very end, and the moment we're in right now, all of it is happening at the very same time? What? Like, instead of it just being a moment by moment and it's unfolding, rather, some say that all that is is happening at the very same time. You say, how does that work? Let me explain it. If your ear is like gooing out your brain right now, like mine, let me, let me try to give you an illustration. I promise this is going somewhere. But um, how many of you know what um, one of these is? Yeah, DVD, right? Let, let me explain to the younger generation. Before you had a phone or a device that you could just like push a button and whatever you wanted to watch just sort of magically showed up. We had these things called DVDs. Before this was something called a VHS. That, that's right. You say, what's that? Well, dinosaurs used them. And okay. Now, what do you do if you want to watch a movie? You take one of these little things, put it into a player, you turn on your TV, and now you get to watch the story, the movie unfold moment by moment, by moment, beginning, middle, end. You've seen it in linear flow, but then when you take it back out and you hold the DVD in your hand, you are holding the entire history of that show, movie, story in your hand, beginning, middle, end. It's all right here. It's not something before. It's not something here. It's not something after. You're holding all of it. Friends, this is the way God sees Time. He's not stuck in the moments, but he holds it. Isn't it interesting that scientists are just now discovering what Scripture said 2,000 years ago? When recorded in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, the Lord says, I make known the end from the beginning, meaning I know what's going to happen. I'm already there. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. How are you going to do this, God? Because he holds every bit. I see it. I'm in it. I'm not stuck to a particular moment, but I can move between the pages of history. He is the God over all. Do you understand what this means? If this is true, which scripture says it is, that yes, you are in this one moment, but do you understand that right now you are also in the loving embrace of God in eternity? That is not something just to be hoped or wished for. That is a concrete reality that what you have anchored your hope in is already a reality. That as you are already with him in eternity, he is now here with you. So belief is not, I hope he'll save me. I hope there's resurrection. It is the reality that the God who is holding you now in heaven is the God who holds you now in the hurt. You are not alone in the moment. Do you, my friend, believe in the resurrection right now? Not just something future, but he is present. It is something now. This is the promise. In the moments where you just go, it doesn't make sense. God, why do you love me? He says, do you believe that what I promise is actually a reality right now? That the power that brought Jesus from the dead is the power at work in us. And it is not something just for the future. It is a gift for today. Do you believe in the resurrection today?
Now, I know a lot of us would like for your life just to be different. You'd like for things to be different, but it's just not worked out the way you always hoped it would, does it? Decisions were made. Problems have happened. A lot of us say, yeah, I believe. I believe that one day God will bring right all that is broken. But I don't know. Today's just a little too hard. Things are just a little too rough, a little too rocky. And we're just not so sure, which is why I think many of us spend more time worrying about politics than praying. Because we don't know that the resurrection power is available right now. And no president, no dictator, no one else is going to be able to bring what you and I need, which is the resurrection of life from death. Do you believe that Jesus can actually stop the Russian army? Do you know in the Old Testament there's a king, Sennacherib, who surrounded the city of Jerusalem and the people prayed to God. And although, as he wrote in his own diary, his own journals, he had Jerusalem in a cage like a bird. He had it surrounded, but it does not say that he pulled the bird out. You say, yeah, that was a different war. Yes, but it's the same God. Some of you are saying, I don't know if the power of God can reach my child. You don't know the addiction. You don't know the choices. You don't know where they are. You don't know the things they're learning in university and the way the the professors may be twisting their minds around. You don't understand, Josh. And I would say to you, do you not know there was another one who was educated beyond any of our levels who hated the church and yet Jesus Christ came to this man named Saul and had the power to turn his life around, resurrection from death. Don't you dare believe that your child is beyond the reach of Jesus. Different person, same God. Yeah, but Jesus can't reach me where I'm at. You don't understand. That's one thing to talk about others, but I have made so many mistakes. I've lost all that I have, credibility, reputation. I just, there's nothing that can be done. See, I understand that's what sin does. It squeezes the life out of you, doesn't it? It hollows us out. And yet, the promise of scripture is not that God comes and puts you back inside of you. Rather, the apostle Paul says, Christ in me. Christ in you. When resurrection power comes, it's not more of you. You don't want more of you. That's what got you in the problem, isn't it? Jesus says, I'll come in and I will fill you back up. See, different people, but same God. Do you believe in the resurrection this morning? It's available. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I won't put you on the spot, friend. But for some of us this morning, we just simply need to be honest enough with God to say what really is going on. For some in this room, what's going on is you have been hurt. You are still just completely sore because of the loved one you've lost. And you're telling God, I don't know if there's really a God. I'm not sure if you're good. And I don't know if I even like you. The fact you would even speak, though, to this God means there is something still there. Lord, I believe, but help this unbelief. Others in this room, we simply are going through a hard season. We need to know that we don't face it alone, but that the power that brought Jesus from the grave is at work in us now. He holds your future, and he's here in your present.